Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voices like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your mist, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from the one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity. And deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. 
We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there's none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes from worthless things and renew my life according to your word. Amen. When you hear the voice come over the loudspeaker, you should know it's something important. In school, it was the principal with an announcement. On the plane, it's that we're getting ready to land. In the office building, it's that somebody's car is getting towed. Lacking loudspeakers in the ancient world, they used trumpets. The trumpet sound meant something big was happening, usually related to war. The trumpet sounded important announcements. You were on the attack, or maybe you were under attack. Cry aloud, God begins. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Why? What's the announcement? Declare to my people their transgression. Isaiah's opening reveals that God is going to war with his people. Remember how the previous chapter ended. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But God's declaration of war is also an announcement. His people are missing out on his blessing. God is offering them security and satisfaction, but they're missing out. God is offering them to ride on the heights of the earth, but they're missing out. This last section of Isaiah is filled with many oughts for God's people. But these calls to holiness, these things we ought to do in Christ, do not undermine his salvation by grace. They show how effective it is. The same grace that gives us saving faith is also effective to give us new hearts and minds and wills by which we can and do obey God. John wrote, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In Judah, God's people are missing out. And this morning's chapters reveal two reason why. Even so, and despite the negative tone, these are tough chapters, they're also about the alternative. How we can enjoy the blessings of the kingdom while we're waiting for the fullness of its coming. Verse 2 introduces both reasons. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. We'll come back to hypocrisy but let's begin with disobedience. This is why God told Isaiah to blow the trumpet. It's why he's at war with his people. 
What they do and what they say toward one another is evil. Chapter 59 is a catalog of it. It's a catalog of life where people go their own way rather than God's. And these people are complaining of a lack of blessing when it's their own wickedness that has turned that blessing away. They complain that God has forgotten them, but they never consider why he won't answer their prayers. One teacher wrote, the problem is not God's inattention, but our sin. He certainly can hear, but he will not. By our wickedness, the Lord is personally offended. We have alienated ourselves. When our prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling, when it seems like God isn't hearing us, don't we often begin by blaming him? What if instead we first considered whether or not the problem is with us? Perhaps there is sin that we love and are clinging to rather than him. Are we haughty and proud? Do we refuse to forgive? Do we care nothing for the needs of others? That's going our own way. Verse 8, the way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They've made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Isaiah offers three metaphors. In verse 4, it's childbirth, that sinners conceive evil in their bodies and then give birth to it. And in verses 5 and 6, there are two snakes that are destroyed by the very eggs they've given birth to and spiders who weave webs that ultimately cannot provide for them. The point is that wickedness is core to their identity. It covers every area of life. It is within them and comes out of them. Isaiah says they run to it. It's what they want to do. And when we're not walking with God, when we're insisting on going our own way rather than his, they is us. We lament the darkness around us. But I heard another teacher say, we may very well live in a dark world, but the darkness that first calls to be rectified is within us. The darkness is in ourselves. The second way we miss out is hypocrisy. The people objected to God's trumpet-blasting accusations. Verse 3, chapter 58 now, verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've taken no knowledge of it? This isn't fair. This isn't right. We're showing up to worship. We're fasting. We're doing something religious almost every day. What more do you want from us? Why aren't you blessing us? Where's the satisfaction and the security that you've promised? Why are we missing out? The answer is buried somewhere under the weight of their own hypocrisy. There's two forms of it visible here. The first is connected to the ongoing unrighteousness of chapter 29. God isn't going to accept blood-stained hands even if they're lifted up to him in worship. Our acts of worship don't make up for acts of injustice 
indifference, selfishness, unforgiveness, and evil. Yes, sinners can worship God rightly, but only with the clean hands and pure hearts that come through repentance and a walk with God. True worship is not an act we can perform separated from hearts that are also turned toward God in the rest of life. If your hearts aren't turned toward God out there, they're not turned toward God in here. Real love for God requires love for neighbor. The other kind of hypocrisy concerns the motivation for their worship. They weren't fasting for God's purposes. They were fasting to be seen by God and by others. Their response to God's warning, there is no peace for the wicked, is to complain that they've wasted their time fasting if he didn't even see it. So it is with all acts of worship. Everything we do in worship, the core is not the act itself. It's not the thing we're doing The core is the God that that act is supposed to be directed toward. Another pastor says, if we fast in order to get something for ourselves from God, instead of to become better people for the sake of others, then we've missed the meaning of worship. It delights the Lord when we delight in the Lord. It delights the Lord when we delight. Delight in the Lord. That's the unexpected part, the counterpredictable part. We expect a kind of formula. We do the thing, and God blesses the thing. Obedience or worship, that's the thing we do. And the blessing is the thing we get in return. But that's not how it works. Obedience is delight in the Lord. Worship is delight in the Lord. And the thing we get, the blessing, is the Lord. It's enjoyment of him, that very delight. The way to blessing is the blessing. Isaiah uses the Sabbath as an example. God structured our weekly time to facilitate our glorifying and enjoyment of him. Time itself is structured to turn us away from ourselves and toward him and therefore others. But his people are missing out. So beginning at 5813, God invites them to something better. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We still struggle with this, don't we? Though the day of the Sabbath celebration has changed to align with Christ's resurrection, God's offer of delight remains. But, as one commentator observed, 
For most American Christians, the Sabbath is the holiday we're least likely to observe. We think we're freeing ourselves from religious imposition, but in fact, we're enslaving ourselves to destructive workaholism, exploitation of our employees, the obliteration of unstructured family intimacy, and above all, a lost sense of the sacred. We think we know better than God what we need. We think that our ways are more reasonable than his ways. We honestly believe that we can find a way to glorify and enjoy him without all the inconveniences his way prescribes. So we go our own way. And I, when I do it, grumble that it doesn't feel delightful to me. When keeping the day is what feels like a burden to us, when we have to fit it in around everything else, when we cannot truthfully call the day a delight, we're doing it wrong. We're going our way rather than God's. Remember what the apostle told us. The love of God is that we keep God's commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. The Greek word for burdensome is, is about adding weight, putting more things on the back of a person or a beast of burden. Just the thought of the thing, much less the doing it, weighs you down. But God says his commandments are not this. And so if we feel that way, the issue is not with the commandment, but with us. And that's what we've been reading about this morning. With worship before and here with Sabbath, the problem is with us. External religion looks like religion, but it's just checking things off of a list. It's satisfied only with the appearance of religion. But true religion begins with the heart. Worship pours out as the result of love for God. Sabbath keeping follows naturally from an eagerness to delight in him. One teacher calls the Sabbath the ideal life for the Lord's people. It's built on internal realities that bring about external reaction. Sabbath keeping isn't the ultimate. Loving God in such a way that we're inclined to keep the Sabbath, that's the ultimate. Loving God in such a way that we're inclined to love our neighbor, that is the ultimate. The sign of love that God demands from us is our lives. A token of that is our time. Children will say this more honestly than adults will. We show what we value through our time. Think of the people that you've praised to others because it was like they had all the time in the world for you. Time is valuable. It's the benchmark currency of love. The problem is, as always, that we do not believe God. We think we know what's best for us. We resist even one day in seven set to his agenda rather than our own. And God comes not with rebuke, but with a plea and an offer. He says to us, turn back your foot 
That's like saying, watch your step. The day has a specific path to be followed. It's not quite a choose-your-own-adventure. It's not about our preference and indulgence. It's about finding delight in God. Incidentally, and we see this in the New Testament with the Pharisees, people who over-legislate the Sabbath are doing the same thing. Taking away things that God does not take away is just another form of misusing the day. Delight in God comes from walking with him his way, not from inventing ways of our own, whether those are less restrictive or more restrictive than what he's prescribed. I was thinking about this yesterday, riding on the mountain bike trails, something that we've really come to enjoy, and I know some others enjoy it, and they've built up the trail so that there are berms and hills to go down, and it's a lot of fun when you stay on the way they've set forth. Every now and then, due to my lack of skill, I will invent a new path through some portion of the woods. It's not any good, and it's not for my good. Back to the fasting example of verse 5, God's people were fasting. Yet they were still going their own way. God says, is such the fast that I choose? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? He uses the illustration of a a reed blowing uselessly in the wind. It's in motion, but that motion doesn't accomplish anything. And he says that's how it is with our self-abasing acts of worship. God has no use for the things that we do only because they represent a sacrifice on our part. Look, God, at how much I'm doing. Look at my Sunday school attendance pen. I showed up. Now, God's looking for the things that we do out of love. He says that's true fasting. That's true Sabbath keeping. That's true church attendance. That's true love of neighbor. That's true anything else. He's not saying that the external, the thing we do, isn't important. Quite the contrary. These chapters are filled with oughts, things that we should do because of that love for God. But he is saying that when the love for God is missing, even those good things are like a reed blowing in the wind. Plenty of movement, maybe even exhausting activity accomplishing nothing. This is a lengthy quote, but it's a helpful exclamation point to what Isaiah has taught us about the Sabbath. It is practicable, is, oh sorry, is it practicable to worship God for one whole day in each seven? Can this be right about the fourth commandment while even evangelical friends are mistaken? Isaiah says, Yes, nothing but a weekly day of worship will begin to touch the ignorance which has gripped humanity. This alone under God can save families, churches, schools, and governments from total moral collapse. Our generation has a deep need to be instructed on the Sabbath. Antinomians angrily rant against the fourth commandment. Legalists make the law unpalatable and twist it dangerously. If so many devices 
are producing a smoke screen of confusion to obscure the Sabbath from your view, you can be certain that an important truth is to be found behind the haze. The answer is to see the Sabbath for what it is. It's the opportunity to be in the presence of Christ in a way that is unique even from your enjoyment of him the other six days. It's an opportunity to get a taste of God's heavenly rest, to participate partially in an uncursed reality while we wait for its promised fullness. It's the opportunity to be with God on God's terms and to see where his delight can lead you. Remember, obedience is delight in the Lord. Worship is delight in the Lord. The way to blessing is the blessing. That's why we, it's certain that true obedience, true worship, true Sabbath keeping, true love for neighbor will result in joy. Kids, in computer programming, there's something called an if-then statement. You can write a program that tells the computer that if one thing happens, then another thing will happen. Starting with verse 6, look at how many if-thens there are in God's promises. Loose the bonds of wickedness, share your bread with the hungry, then shall your light break forth. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, then your light shall rise in the darkness. If you call the Sabbath a delight, if you honor it, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Religion has become a bad word today. But true religion is union with Christ and delight in God that sets aside our own way and goes his. It offers the pure heart and the honest hands. And if, We pursue it. Then, humility, confession of sin, meekness, mercy. If we pursue delight in God, then life with God. Isn't that what James was talking about? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Because real obedience is delight in the Lord. Real blessing is also. The then statements of verses 8 through 12 describe the blessing of life with God. God's glory will radiate from their land, from their homes and their churches and their cities. Isn't that what we want? We pray thy kingdom come. We prayed that this morning. And as we glorify and enjoy God in the here and now, we advance that kingdom even today. Are you missing out? There are, of course, many who miss out by rejecting God's grace entirely. They miss out on the salvation that he offers in Christ. But there are also many in the church who even have been taking hold of that salvation still miss out on the daily delight God offers us in himself. 
We believe God about eternity. We believe ourselves about tomorrow's to-do list or the need to look out first for us or where to find security and satisfaction. Is that you this morning? Hear the gracious offer of God. Then you shall delight in the Lord and ride on the heights of earth. Christians, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Don't miss out.